Thank you, praise team. That was well done. Thank you for using your gifts in the church to lead us in worship. As I studied Psalm 1 uh, this week, a illustration I haven't thought about in 15 plus, well, 15 years, 16 years now. Um, I was in seminary. My seminary professor um, gave us this illustration. It was in my mind, so I thought I'd, I'd share it with you. So imagine you're driving home late at night, and there's a terrible storm, and rain is, rain is just coming down in torrents. You can barely see the road in front of you. And you just want to get home. You're, you're tired. And it's, a, it's a bad night. And then at the very edge of your headlights, you can see something. You're not sure what it is yet. You get closer. You realize it's a man. And you think to yourself, and he, you know, he's waving you down. And, and, and you think to yourself, you know, what is this, a carjack or what? Or you think, you know, he probably needs help. I just want to go home. I mean, let's be honest. Isn't that what you think? Maybe, maybe some of you are better Samaritans than I am. Do you think, man, I don't want to get out in the rain? <laughs> you know, maybe, that, maybe that's one of your first thoughts. And so you decide, well, I'm going to go around this guy, right? And so you swerve, and the guy jumps in your path. And so you, you swerve back, and the guy jumps in your path again. You realize, I can't get past this man. I, I'm either going to have to run him down or stop. And obviously you decide the, uh, the wisest course is to, is to stop. So as you, as you roll to a stop, you, you lock your door. You, you crack your window about a third of an inch. And you keep your, you know, your foot on the gas just in case this guy's crazy. But then he shouts through, the, through your, your window. He says, the bridge is out. The bridge is out. I've tried to, to stop three cars before you, but they, they wouldn't stop. And they've, they've all plunged into the river and they perished. He says, if you... If you keep going this way, you'll perish. You must go back. You, you have to go back. You have to turn around and go back a different way. And our preaching professor uh, made the analogy that this is in part what a preacher does. He stands in the middle of the highway <laughs> warning all of those people who are speeding to hell. Right? It's, it's just a small part. It's, well, let's say, maybe small is the wrong word, but it is a part of what it means to be a minister, to be a preacher, because we're warning people. And as I read Psalm 1, that's one of the thoughts that occurred to me. The psalmist is warning us. He's exhorting us to be godly, right? And he talks about the, the, the blessings of being godly. But he's also warning us about walking away from God. And he mentions the judgment and he says, such men and women, they will perish. Verse 6. So, who sang these words? Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Anybody know who John Lennon wrote and sang this well-known Song, in my 59 years of life, this has been my experience with the majority of people. They want to imagine their own reality, right? They're not overly interested in the biblical reality. Uh, many aren't. 
many that you meet on the street, many, many that you try to engage in meaningful conversation. They're not really interested in biblical reality. They want to imagine their own reality. Right? And, of course, Lennon says, imagine all the people living for today. Isn't that, I mean, yeah, isn't that the world? They're living for today. They don't even think about eternity. They give no, no, really no thought to heaven or hell. He sings it perfectly. Imagine no heaven. Imagine no hell. Just live for today. Isn't that, isn't that the, the message of the media and the culture at large? Living for today. Have you noticed that most people that you encounter, unbelievers that you encounter in the world, they, they run pretty much on impulse. Am I wrong? Impulse, emotion, and mood. Every day they get up, they're running on these three things. And as we've talked about several times during the Psalms, many people are just like sheep. Now, I've used the word sheeple. It's just, it's just the blending of two words. You know, they, they look like human beings, but they, they act like sheep. They just get in the herd and they go. They, they don't think critically about the direction they're going in, but they just follow the herd like lemmings do. I know we've talked about that several times as we've gone through the Psalms. They don't think deeply about why am I? Why am I? You know? Why am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose in life? Where am I going? Am I accountable to anyone for how I live? Or am I a free agent? Do I just do whatever I please? You know, I find that people simply don't think about these things. I'm not sure why. I, well, I guess I do. It's the insanity of sin. People just don't think deeply about these things. I, I can remember one of my other professors in seminary he had a picture on his wall. I've told you about this before. And it was just this long string of people marching single file. And as far as you could see into the background, it was just a, a line of people. And they were just marching. They were just looking straight ahead and they were just marching off into the abyss. They were just following the one in front of them. They were just listening to the world. And they were marching off the cliff into the abyss. There's that old joke where the pilot comes on and he says, we've got bad news and good news. The bad news is we've lost all of our instrumentation. We don't know where we are and we don't know where we're going. But the good news is we're making great time. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's the problem with much of mankind. Absolutely no instrumentation. No instrumentation. They have no idea where... They are headed. It reminds me of that great line in Screwtape Letters. You guys know Uncle Screwtape is mentoring uh, his, his nephew, Wormwood, and he says it's quite easy to keep the humans fogged. Now, you know, the purpose of the Screwtape Letters is the demons are trying to keep their, their patient, which is the human being, from, from coming to God or knowing God. And he says it's quite easy to keep them fogged. In fact, you know, the human beings, they kind of like the fog. They like the fog. They tend to stay in the fog. They don't deal with reality, by and large. If you read Psalm 1, you've got to deal with reality, right? <laughs> you've got to deal with reality. That's what the psalmist is 
putting in front of us. Satan is good at his job. He likes to keep the world running in the herd. He likes to keep you running on impulse or emotion or mood. We know what Paul says about Satan in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. He calls Satan the little g, little g, God of this world. And he is the God of media. Little g, God of media. Little g, God of entertainment, advertising, religion, culture, and education. And Satan uses all of these tools to keep humanity in the fog. The only people who are not in the fog are the people of the Word. Everybody else has been fogged, as Screwtape told his nephew. To stay with this illustration, Satan wants humanity to speed right on past the rain-soaked psalmist who is trying to warn them about the abyss that awaits them. So, just a short introduction as we get into Psalm 1. There is clearly, biblically, right here in this psalm, there's a line of demarcation. There is life. There is death. There is happiness. There is misery. There is grace. There is judgment. And the psalmist puts these on display for us. Ultimately, there are two ways to live. You either live by the Word of God or you don't live by the Word of God. I mean, these are the, this is the line of demarcation and this is what the psalmist is telling us. You either live by the words of God or you live by your own thoughts and imaginations. And he tells us the consequences of that. Jesus was very clear in Matthew 7 the most famous sermon ever preached. Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. If you actually go over to Luke chapter 13, verse 24, Jesus says, Strive to enter into the narrow gate. Strive, He says. I like how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this. He says, put your mind on your life with God. Let me ask you, I'll just stop and ask you. Is that the first thing on your mind every day? Is that your first priority? Your, is your mind on your life with God? And then Peterson goes on, the way to life and to God is vigorous. Listen, you can't just drift into the kingdom of God. You're not simply going to drift you know, into eternal life. You have to pursue the Lord. You have to repent of your sin. You have to place your faith in Him. You become His disciple. You honor Him in your life. You know, we're not saved by works. I think if you've been around long enough, you know that. We're not saved by works. But the works reveal that we've come to know Jesus. Right? Jesus says it Himself. He says, strive to enter by the narrow gate. He is, of course, talking about the road to heaven and the road to hell. The road to hell is the broad way, the easy way, the popular way, the normal way, the fashionable way, the politically correct way. It's the way of natural man. It's the way of the world. 
All the man-made, man-centered religions, philosophies, values, ideals, beliefs, and culture, including pseudo-Christianity, false versions of Christianity. Jesus says it all leads to destruction. I was listening to a sermon just the other day by John MacArthur, a famous sermon, in, uh, pardon me, a famous preacher in the States. And he was making the point very clear that Jesus, uh, in no uncertain terms, told the religious leaders they were hell-bound. I mean, Jesus, his, some of his harshest words were on those who professed to be religious. Religion will take you to hell, beloved. And true biblical Christianity, it's, it's ultimately not religion. You guys know what it is. I tell you all the time. It's about a, a, a vibrant, real, life-changing, eternity-changing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what the Bible teaches. So the psalmist in Psalm 1, he's exhorting us and encouraging us to take the narrow way. And he's warning us against the eternal consequences of choosing the broad way. Verse 1 of Psalm 1, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Now you guys know what the word blessed means. It could easily be translated happy. Happy is the man. Happy is the man who doesn't, you know, in shorthand will say, hang out with sinners and pursue the ways of sin. Happy is that man. Happy is that man who's pursuing God is a way we could say it in a positive way. We talked about it last week. Jesus said it over in, in uh, Luke 11.28, Happy are those who hear the Word of God and, someone tell me, and what? Do it. Christianity is never a spectator sport. It's never passive. You're doing the Word or you haven't met Him yet. I mean, it's just the way it is. I'm not saying we don't sin. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we don't have, we, we don't have seasons where we can fall into great sin. I'm not saying that either. But the true believer, the true believer is seeking ultimately to do the Word of God. It's interesting, the, the, the Hebrew word here translated blessed, it's, it's plural. One, trans, uh, one theologian translated it blessed, blessednesses. He says like this, Oh, the blessednesses of walking with God as opposed to walking with the world. I hope you know, beloved, if you're a born-again believer, you do know that there's just a pervasive and invincible joy in walking with Jesus Christ. Nothing else compares. Nothing else on this planet compares with walking with the Lord and the joy that, that permeates that relationship. And as Paul said, even in his sorrow, he said, I may be sorrowful, but I'm always rejoicing. Now, you know, if you're a born-again Christian, I don't need to explain it. And if you're not a born-again Christian, I can't explain it. I can't explain how you could be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. I simply can't explain that to you. Only God can explain that to you. Only God can. But happy is the man, blessed is the man, who has turned his back on sin. He's repented. That's what repent means, right? 
to change direction, to change your mind, to walk toward God, to stop you know, loving the world, turn and to walk toward and with God. So the lover and follower of Jesus does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, verse 1. He does not fill his mind with the messages and images of the mass media. That is not his constant diet. What is his constant diet? We're going to see it in verse 2. What is the man or woman of God's diet? What is his diet? It's the Word of God. Amen? You know, we don't live in the, the, the modern culture. That's not where we operate. That's not where we get our, uh, our mindset, our worldview. You know, where Jesus is at best ignored, at worst blasphemed. The only time you hear Jesus mentioned in popular culture is usually uh, His name's being used as the swear word, and it makes me crazy to hear it. It just... They don't know what they're doing when they take the Lord Jesus' name in vain. So the majority of the mass media, news, movies, TV, books, music, academia, are principally in the business of promoting the little g God of this world's agenda. And if you're knowledgeable about the Bible at all, it doesn't take very long for you to listen to the messages of the world and you realize that this is coming from somewhere else. This is not benign. <laughs> you know, you've heard me say it many times. If it's not the truth of God, it's a demonic. You can call it whatever you want. You can call it whatever kind of religion or denomination. or, or If it's not the truth of God, it's, someone tell me, if it's not the truth of God, what is it? It's a lie. And who is the father of every lie? Satan. So, and I just thought I'd give you an example of something. And, you know, this dates me, obviously. Um, but the greatest examples of the counsel of the wicked in the media, I guess the greatest examples in my lifetime in 40 years, I've watched abortion and homosexuality go from that which was taboo to that which is generally accepted in the West. Now, I never thought I would see either one of those things happen. I, in my wildest imaginations, 40 years ago, if you'd have asked me, will it, will it be legal to, to murder the child in the womb? I'd say, no way that could be legal! Who in their right mind would do that? And we know that they make a lot of arguments. But the highest argument is, we, as we've talked about, the highest biblical argument, obviously, is that's the, the, the image of God in the womb of woman. And if someone had said to me 40 years ago, well, you're going to see the day where there's such a thing called same-sex marriage, I would have said, that's impossible. That could never happen. That would never happen. My point to you, young people, is... There's, I don't know what you're going to see. I don't know what you're going to see in your lifetime. <laughs> that, that, is, that is taboo now, but we will be uh, made legitimate in the eyes of 
the world. Beloved, this is what happens when you're in the counsel of the world. When you're listening to the world. You're being indoctrinated by the world. You know, if you watch the, the last 25, 30 years of movies, you realize why same-sex marriage is just an avalanche in the States. The whole culture has been indoctrinated uh, with benign messages about that lifestyle. And I want to make clear, you know, we don't, have, we don't hate homosexuals. Christians, true Christians don't hate homosexuals. We love them enough to tell them the truth. Um, we love them enough to tell them the truth. Nobody else is going to tell them the truth. That your chosen lifestyle, God calls sin. So, so the born-again heart and mind does not take its cue or counsel from the media. We do not walk according to the subjective or relative morality of the world, but from the objective and absolute morality of the Bible. Have you guys ever seen that uh, YouTube video of the young college student? He stands up and he asks Robbie Zacharias. You got Robbie Zacharias is just tremendous, but. Um, he stands up and he asks Ravi Zacharias, well, why are you afraid of subjective moral reasoning? Mm-hmm. Have you seen this? Yeah. What does he say? Oh, you're in favor of subjective moral reasoning? Ravi Zacharias goes, let me ask you, young man, do you lock your door? Do you, do you understand? Do you lock your door? It was, it was, to me, it was, it was brilliant. Do you lock your door at night? God says, My people do not walk in the counsel of this world. They don't entertain that which is absurd, that which is irrational, that which is illogical. Then God says, Nor do my people stand in the paths of sinners. I like, again, how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this. He says, My people don't slink along dead-end roads. My people don't slink along. Dead end roads. I love that. We don't, you know, we don't have time to slink along dead end roads. Amen? I think that's beautiful. And let me just say this. Not that the born again Christian is not also a sinner, for certainly we are. But as Charles Spurgeon says, we are blood washed sinners. And we now have a different set of affections, a different set of appetites, We know a dead end when we see it, and we're not going to go down that dead end. And it's not that we do not seek to to know and build relationships with unbelievers. Certainly we do. Just to go back to my earlier point, uh, when we first came, uh, we had a a young man in the church who was obviously homosexual. And uh, we loved the guy. We had him out to our place for dinner. We just taught the guy. Right? And, and, you know, we don't shun sinners because we're sinners. We're sinners too, amen? We're all sinners. We're all guilty of, of sin to one degree or another. So we don't shun. We can, we can abhor their lifestyle and still love them and bring them a message of redemption and forgiveness in Christ, amen? Because we're all sinners. It's not that we don't seek to know and build uh, relationships with unbelievers. We do. But we do it with a view to lead them to Christ. To, to tell them and to show them and to reveal to them 
that there is life in Jesus Christ. So, lastly here in verse 1, we don't sit with the scoffers. Or we don't uh, abide or stay or associate with scoffers. And some translations say the scornful. The Hebrew word translated scoffer here is a very strange word. I've ne- I told Karen the other day, I've never seen uh, a lexic- the, the lexicon give this kind of definition. But actually, the, the, word, the Hebrew word here, it's the name of a female night demon who haunts desolate places. I've never ever seen (laughs) a Hebrew word with that definition in the lexicon. Of course, the demon would mock, ridicule, jeer, and have contempt for God's Word. That's the point. These scoffers have contempt not only for God and God's Word, but God's people. I know you've encountered them. If you're a disciple in the world and you're sharing the gospel, you will encounter the scoffers. The scoffers will scoff at you. They will mock you. That's what they do. They scoff. They not only engage in sin, they talk sin up and they talk God down. It's, that, it's like that Romans 1.32 verse. They give hearty approval to those who practice rebellion before God, they are scoffers. They hold God in contempt. It's the Bertrand Russells of the world. It's the, the Christopher Hitchens of the world. It's the, the uh, Richard Dawkins of the world. As Spurgeon calls them, what does he call them? He calls, the, calls them the doctors of damnation. Uh, and I thought of one, the PhDs of perdition. These guys who just rail at God and rail at the Word of God, and rail at the church, and rail at the people of God. Again, <laughs> Peterson's paraphrase is, he goes, he goes uh, these are the ones from Smart Mouth College, right? <laughs> I watch these guys on YouTube. Do you watch these guys on YouTube? I watch these guys on YouTube sometimes, and they sit there like they have all knowledge. You know, they've got two and a half pounds of gray matter, just like you and me. And they sit there and they pontificate as if they have all knowledge. And they want to tell us that God does not exist and that the Bible is false. They want to tell us these things as if they're authoritative, beloved. I hope you know. They're not authoritative. They don't, they're just speculating. Really, I think we could be even stronger. It's a wish projection. They don't want God to exist. Because God would crowd their style, right? God would would crowd their sin. So they talk as if they have conclusive evidence that God does not exist. You know, no one can prove that God does not exist. No one can prove that. Of course, we're in relationship with Him. We know He exists. And of course, anybody can make any kind of wild-eyed assertion that they want to. But as we talked about last week, there's ample evidence that God exists. Amen? Psalm 19, 1 and 2. Look up into the heavens. And as Spurgeon said, <laughs> how can you look up into the heavens and not know that God exists? You know? You're either an idiot or a liar. If you can look up into the heavens and declare that there is no God. So blessed or happy is the man who does not walk, stand, or sit with those who are in premeditated rebellion against their 
Creator, verse 2, but His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law He meditates day and night. Did you notice, this is not about religious duty. It's about, what is it about? Someone tell me. He doesn't, he, he's not in the Word because it's His duty. He's in the Word because it's His delight. I hope that's true for you. Um, I hope it's your delight to be with God in His Word. There's just this joy of meeting with God in His Word. There's all this freedom in His Word. You know, you get a strong look at God and you're just kind of set free, right? You're set free from, from, from fear and anxiety. You're just free because your God is God and your God is awesome. You're free. I know what stirs me up. It's just a fresh look at God. Amen? I mean, when I'm in the Word and I see His greatness, I, I'm stirred up. <laughs> I'm stirred up. Yeah. I don't know how you can read the Bible. Obviously, you could read it academically. But I mean, if you profess to be a Christian, I don't know how you can read the Bible and, and not, you know, get jazzed up. I don't know how that could happen. Um, there's this great joy that comes with spending time in the Word. It's, I, I know I mention it to you all the time. Matthew 13, 44. What, why did the man sell all that he had to acquire the field? Why did the man sell all that he had to, to acquire the field? It's a picture of true conversion. Why did he do it? From duty, right? From duty. No, wrong. Why did he do it? From joy. He did it from joy. True Christianity is all about the joy. And yes, sometimes we are spiritually dull and self-absorbed and distracted. In normal Christian life, it's an ongoing, repeated process of restoration and renewal. Our joy is not static. It is not constant. You must be here and you must be drinking deeply from the Word of God or your joy will just leak out of you as if you are a broken cistern. The Christian must fight for their joy and they fight for it here. We fight for it in the Word of God. There's a telling and important lesson in the Old Testament. Why did God have the Jews collect manna every day? There's a lesson there. <laughs> every day, God says, you come to Me for your nourishment. Every day, you have to come to me for your nourishment. Every day, it's just like eating. If you don't eat physically, you will die. You will become emaciated, incapacitated, and ultimately you will die. It's the same thing. If you profess to be a Christian and you're not in the Word of God, there's no way you... There's just simply no way to go with Christ. You've got to be spiritually fit to walk with Jesus Christ. You've got to be spiritually fit to do what He's going to ask you to do. He's going to ask you to do things you can't do. He always asks you to do things that are not on your resume. I'm always, I always kind of chuckle a little bit. People come to me and say, Jim, I, I feel like the Lord's leading me to do this, but I can't do it. I, I, he says, maybe it's not, you know, so they'll, they'll say, maybe it's not of God. I say, of course it's of God. You know, <laughs> He's going to call you to do something you can't do or at least something you doubt you can't do, and He's going to show up and do it 
through you. Amen? This is what God does with His people. He, all, he never calls you to a fair fight. He's not going to call you to a fair fight. He's going to call you to a fight that you have to have Him show up or you get slaughtered. That's the kind of thing that God is calling His people into. I want to read just something. It's a short paragraph about George Mueller. You guys know George Mueller. His autobiography is in the bookshelf. You know, he's the guy that God used to feed, house, clothe, evangelize, educate 10,000 orphans uh, in the 19th century in England. But I, it, it, he not only was ministering with, to these orphans, he had ministries all over the world. This guy had more on his plate than you can imagine, than, ten, than I can imagine. Ten of me being able to handle. Listen to what he says. My first and great and primary business to which I ought to attend every single day is that my soul be happy in the Lord. Let me ask you, is that where you live? He goes on. The first thing to be concerned about is not how much I might serve the Lord or how I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man may be nourished. I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the Word of God and to meditation upon it, that my heart might be comforted, encouraged, warned, reproved, instructed, and thus my heart be brought into experiential communion with God Himself. This was a mighty man of God in the history of the church. And he said, my first function is to be happy in God every day. Do you, do you know that that's what this is about? <laughs> you, know, you know, to see God and be happy in God. You may be facing some terrible trial or ordeal in your life, but I, what I want to say to you and what the psalmist is saying to you, God's bigger. Not only is God bigger, as I say to you all the time, God will use that trial for your good. Do you believe it? Does anybody believe it? Christianity is always by faith. It's always by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Are you living faith? What are you doing that's outside your comfort zone? What are you doing in ministry or, or whatever the Lord's calling you into? What are you doing that's outside your comfort zone? You know, you have to always be looking at your comfort zone. If you're getting too comfortable, you need to be, you need to be talking to the Lord about it. You, know, you need to be like Peter in the boat and say, Lord Jesus, bid me come. Man, I don't want to spend my life living like the world. I don't want to live some small, comfortable, manageable, common sense kind of life. I want to, you know, I want to magnify Christ. I want to magnify the Lord. And the only way you're ever going to have those motivations is if you're in this looking at God and just being in awe. Of course I can do X, Y, Z. He's God. Of course I can do it. He's God. You guys familiar with Psalm 119? Uh, it's uh, the longest chapter in the Bible. and He talks about the Word of God there. And uh, I, just, I guess, let me just bypass any Scripture from there, but just go to Psalm 119 and spend some rich time there if you haven't done so lately. Verse 3. And He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. 
and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. So the man who knows and meditates upon God's Word, he is a man who is immovable, he's fruitful, he's vibrant, and he's prosperous. He's uh, planted by streams of water. And when I read that, immediately my mind went to Revelation 22.1, and John writes, and uh, the angel showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and from the Lamb. The, the Christian is planted right by the stream of God. Amen? We're, we're in the way of the stream of God. The stream of God's flowing through the Word of God, and there we are. And when we're planted in the Word of God, we will yield our fruit, and our leaf will not wither, and in whatever we do, we will prosper. You guys know, when I was reading there about the fruit, you guys, my mind immediately went to, to John 15. And Jesus says, um, well, what does He say about the vine that doesn't bear any fruit? Someone tell me. If it doesn't bear fruit, and of course Jesus in John 15, He's talking about, he's talking about the Judas branch here. He's talking about the false Christian, the pseudo-Christian. He says, if there's no fruit, my Father takes it away and He casts it into the fire. Jesus says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, my Father takes it away and casts it in the fire. He continues, he who abides in me and I am in him, he bears much fruit. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. Jesus continues, and every branch that bears fruit, the Father prunes that it may bear more fruit. It's about the fruit, beloved. Is there a fruit in your life? You say, well, Jim, what's fruit? Well, I'm going to give you a short definition for the sake of time. It's, uh, I'm going to say, it's being in a real love relationship with Jesus and everything that flows out of that. That's spiritual fruit. And there's a lot of ways I could talk about that, but for the sake of time, I'll leave it there. And of course, if you've been at ICM very long, you already know what I'm going to say about this promise of prosperity. What that means there is, if you, if you have enough faith and you speak faith-filled words, you'll never get cancer. That's what it means. And it means God's going to give you a lot of money. That's what it means. Right? No, you've been here a while. It never means that. The psalmist is talking about soul prosperity. Soul prosperity. God may grant some temporal prosperity, but that's not God's primary objective in your life and in my life. God's primary objective is spiritual, eternal, and soulish prosperity. The true born-again lover and follower of Jesus, we know that great text, Colossians 3, 1 and 2, Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above and not the things that are on the earth. So there's this contrast. Verses 2 and 3, we see the promises of delight, strength, faithfulness, and prosperity for the godly. And now we're going to see the, the poverty, weakness, fruitlessness, and loss of the ungodly. Verses 4 
5 and 6. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So it's clear, isn't it? Life, death. Joy, judgment. It's clear. Delight, misery. The, the, psalmist is, the psalmist is, you know, he's in the middle of the road. And if you're an unbeliever, if you're here tonight, if you're an unbeliever or you're, you're a pseudo-Christian, you're, you know, you're a pretend Christian, you're not really a genuine disciple of God, you know, I would say to you, the psalmist is standing in, in, your, in your pathway and he's screaming at you, Stop! You must turn around! You must go the other way or you will perish! You know, you've got to love the Word of God. It's just, bam. It's just, it just is what it is, right? Jesus never minced His words. You know, He talks to us like we're adults, right? He talks to us like we're adults. You know, the Gospel is full of gravity and gladness. And you, you, you can't separate one from the other or you've emasculated the Gospel. It's full of gravity. Yes! Eternal gravity. Hell is real. Hell is real and it's forever. The, bi- the biblical gospel is full of gravity. But it's full of gladness for all who will come to Jesus Christ. And this is the, this is the, the, the choice that the psalmist is putting in front of us. The ungodly will not stand in the judgment. You know, I was thinking, I was talking to Keith this week and he mentioned... Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards. You know what Edwards, Edwards' text was in that famous sermon was Deuteronomy 32.35. It is their foot, their foot shall slide in due time. And this is what the psalmist is saying. They will not stand in the judgment. They will be crushed by omnipotent wrath. You say, Jim, that's really, that's really hard. That's really strong. Listen, man, that's what, that's what God's Word says. We don't edit God in here. We just don't, we don't edit God. We just say what God says. I know many churches don't do that anymore, but, but we do that here. And so what is chaff? It's the refuse of the winnowing process. It's the refuse. And the imagery here is that it will be blown away by the whirlwind of God's judgment. It is simply blown away into hell forever. That is the picture that the psalmist is putting before us. And they have no place with the righteous. They will not be in the new heaven and the new earth again. They will be relegated to an eternal hell. God does separate the sheep and the goats and the wheat and the tares. And the text says the Lord knows the ways of the righteous. In short, He knows the ways of the righteous because it's His way. You know, He's personally called and saved His people into His righteousness. And he, ha- he has moment by moment held us in that righteousness. So the Lord knows the way of the righteous. It's His way. And verse 6, But the wicked will perish. If we read our Bibles and let the words mean what the words mean, we know that this false teaching that circles the true church 
It's in the pseudo-church that the Bible is simply talking about annihilation or destruction. We understand that is false. That's not what the words mean. You go study it for yourself. You go study the Greek. You go study the Hebrew. That's not what the words mean. And of course, Jesus' words were pretty straight. Jesus talks about eternal punishment. He talks about eternal and unquenchable fire. He talks about outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. He talks about the place where the worm does not die and the fire is never quenched. Beloved, we need to be able to talk to people about these things. We need to be able, just like the psalmist has done, we simply need to be able to, 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 to make that line of demarcation. Here's life, here's death. Here's joy, here's judgment. Here's gladness, here's misery. The thing is, God lets you decide. He lets, he lets the person you're witnessing to, He lets them decide. So God is exhorting and warning you. He is The psalmist is exhorting and warning you, and I am exhorting and warning you. If you are an unbeliever here tonight, if you are only a nominal Christian, you only play at this in your spare time, I exhort you, to come to Christ. And I'll just close with Joshua, Joshua's words for those of you who do not know Jesus. Choose for yourself today whom you will serve. I exhort you to repent of your hard-heartedness and to come to Jesus Christ for the salvation of your souls. And to the believer here, I'm just going to challenge you with Paul's words. You remember what he said about running the race? To win, and he went on to say to Timothy, he said, fight the good fight, finish the course, keep the faith. I exhort you to live the remaining few moments you have on this planet making much of Jesus. And as Jesus talked about in John 15, that you may bear much fruit, proving yourself to be a disciple. Beloved, there's, there's a fork in the road here. <laughs> there, there are two ways to live this life. One's according to God's Word. One is not according to God's Word. And I know that most of you have heard this before, but my, my, I guess I'm driving home the point that there are many in your orbit that may not have heard this before. They may, they may still be hanging, you know, they, they, they may still be musing about John Lennon's uh, song. Imagine. Well, I just imagine. You know, whatever I imagine, is, it's, it, it'll, it'll be true because I imagined it. We've got to love people enough to drive them to biblical reality and tell them what God has said. That's what Psalm 1 is all about. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for how clear Your Word is. We understand that there is gravity and gladness in the Bible. We understand that apart from Jesus, we are lost and damned. But in Christ Jesus, we are found and we will live forever in Your presence where there are pleasures everlasting. So Lord, I pray that we would be mindful of 
of what You've said to us tonight. If we're here and we've not yet truly come to Jesus, we've not truly yet placed our faith in Christ, we've not truly trusted Him by faith for our salvation alone, Lord, I pray that You would convict that heart and that heart would come. And Lord, if we're here and we know You, and we've become distracted with the world or we've become too self-interested or I don't know, Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged to live our Christianity huge for the glory of Jesus. Again, we thank You for this text. And we give all praise, glory, and honor to the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing.